I am thrilled to have as my first guest on the Composer Chris cast, my partner in crime on my other podcast that I'm part of, the, <laughs> which is uh, the Barely Educated Podcast, where Mark and I talk about our beloved Chicago Bears and the angst that comes with that love. So, Dr. Mark Janza, thank you so much for joining me on the Composer Chris cast as my first guest. So, thank you. All right. You. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's going to be weird talking to you about, like, stuff that matters. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what are you saying about... Uh... Never mind. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I said I wouldn't bring up uh, the other... Yeah, but uh, okay. So, you are... Uh, a college professor, as am I, like myself, and uh, yes. you are, are in the archaeology, Egyptology uh, area. Is that correct? That, that is that correct. Right? So my my doctorate, my PhD, is in ancient history with an emphasis in Egypt, which is Egyptology basically, and then my master's is archaeology and Semitic languages, which is a fancy way of saying archaeology and like the cultures around the Bible, namely the Old Testament. So I have to ask, do you really dig archaeology? I dig I'm, it. I'm sorry. I had I dig to. it. At least you didn't go with Indiana Jones. <laughs> oh, <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. It could get mileage out of that. Uh, so you went to uh, University of Memphis? Was that yeah, that's where my PhD was. And then I was at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for my master's yeah and we found out uh that we were at trinity at the same time at one you know, briefly close, really close. i was there oh three to six yeah i taught there 2000 to 2012 so huh. we did we overlapped and we never knew it little we never did we know knew it it's amazing what a crazy crazy coincidence so it is funny yeah um so you are not just a scholarly archaeologist you've actually like gone out and done some uh been part of some digs and stuff right yeah so uh my first dig was in egypt back in 05 and i remember that because i was packing up stuff for the move and i was like oh there's my dig shirt and i was like oh five right got it good detail to recall <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was at a site called tel borg which is on the border of sinai and egypt proper and that was a really really interesting experience and i learned a great deal there from at least one guy you know tom davis shout out to tom that's, yeah. that's where i met tom and then uh, my mentor, still a very important person to me, was Jim Hoffmeyer. And he was one of the few evangelical Christians who worked with Egyptology. There's only a handful of us still, really, in, a, in most respects. And um, really seeing what he could do to help people understand the Bible better and also to sort of defend, even though I don't want it to get too militant, but mm -hmm. defend the historicity of the events that touch on Egypt in the Bible, obviously the Exodus being the big one. Um, and I realized that that's what I wanted to do because nice. there was a need for it. And I thought it was really interesting. Now, when you say Sinai, you mean the Sinai? like Sinai Peninsula. The, the Ten yeah. Commandments Sinai? Is that well, it's the... further south in the peninsula. But yeah, same peninsula oh, okay. Mount Sinai would have been on or is on. Yeah. Now, we're yeah. both um, of a religious Christian persuasion. And um, archaeology, like why, this is, I'll just jump right into it. Why should Christians care about 
archaeology and supporting archaeology because it seems like maybe there's some uh, distrust of academia and science and history in some uh, Christian circles. I think that's fair to say. So yeah. what uh, what would you say to that? Why is it something that like, no, 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 you know, you should uh, well, really be supportive of this? First of all, um, I'll get to archaeology in a second, but it, I think it's important to establish, first of all, we shouldn't be so distrustful of academia and intellectual pursuits. After all, Jesus does tell us to love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's a part of the greatest commandment. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was a great thinker himself. If you think about all the ways that he uh, was able to use the Old Testament or just simple logic to disarm his opponents, loving the Lord with our mind is an important part of that command. And I realize much of academia can be hostile to Christianity, but I don't think that gives us, you know, some sort of you know, excuse to just dismiss what scholars are doing or that we should just throw our hands up in the air and live in a bubble and never engage with people who are critical about, say, the Bible or certain tenets of the faith. We need to be ready in season and out of season, Paul tells us, to give a defense of the faith. And there's so much good work out there on these topics that even people without, you know, a ton of graduate degrees should familiarize themselves with and can enjoy and read and consume like Travis Dickinson's recent book, right? Logic in the way of Jesus. I got it right here. I'm yes. working through it now. Same. Um, Lane Lane Craig has a bunch of great stuff out there though, maybe a little bit more technical in, in, in a lot of ways, but like there's still a lot of really good works that help us see that our faith is logical and reasonable. And there's always the leap of faith, which I think is really just is God real. And does he care if those two things are true, then the rest of it, falls in line pretty clearly um and so like there's plenty of reason to read up on this stuff um, not just again live in the bubble on archaeology specifically there's a lot of ways to answer this um i've seen it put my own professor that i mentioned earlier jim hoffmeyer he used the five c's right which is like homiletics almost right like a, almost <laughs> like a servant like challenge confirm contextualize clarify critique kind of thing and those are useful, but I think they're a little harder to follow in a podcast format rather than like the lecture with the screen and everything that I was with. So I'll, I'll just break it down to two things to make it a little more, I think, fit the format we're in, even though Great. I totally agree with him. Number one, I think 1A, if you want to call it that, is archaeology on some level is the battle for facts. And again, I don't want to go too far with this word battle, but yes. archaeology yeah. is trying to establish the facts of what happened in the past are the facts, for example, ah, yes. big picture sweeping patterns and changes over time. And yes, the occasional really interesting sensational find. But I think it's important that Christians understand that this is trying to help root the text in the real world that we can observe and not just the text, which I mean, mm. I do believe in the doctrine of inspiration, but I think archaeology can help us understand some of the facts of the events of the bible at a, at a level that the bible isn't always trying to do because it's not it's not always trying to answer those kinds of questions like settlement patterns and things like that and so if we just let the rest of academia have the archaeology we will soon be told that the entire old testament is fiction mm. that will that will be what follows if there's no one engaging in the discussion 
that will that's already something people sometimes claim um or that it's all written really late and therefore not trustworthy and so like we would lose a lot of the history now some of the stories i think matter more than others as far as them being historical moses like if moses is fiction we have a big problem because jesus <laughs> cites him as historical david being fiction we have a big problem <laughs> jonah eh, eh, not that big of a deal i mean i'm not saying he is fiction i'm just saying there are different stakes for these people based on how important they were in the covenant or the new covenant or the transition to christ like davidic covenant right christ is of his line these kind of things mm -hmm. um, and so i think it's important that we don't just sort of give up on that i know again battle isn't my favorite word for it but i don't really have a better one um, because there is a lot of debate maybe debate's more neutral but there's plenty of debate in scholarship about these individuals and um, i'll give you some more stuff on david later Ooh, the cool. other side of this, or the other answer to this is a little more neutral. And I think not everyone's going to weigh in on the debate like someone like I do or my mentor does or whatever. But archaeology helps us contextualize the Bible. I think any Christian should hopefully want to do that. Like you read about their homes, but it doesn't tell you all that much about their homes. But archaeologists can. Here's the classic four-room pillared house from an Israelite community right like you can get a feel for it you can get a picture for it and those kind of things are pretty standard facts that are very easy to look up at this point you don't need a, a specialist degree for that it can also help us make sense of of difficult passages and contextualize things that way i'll give you an example yeah um so in the book of numbers are you familiar with how large the israelite nation is said to be in the census taken in the book of numbers i don't recall but uh, since the book is called Numbers, it's probably a big number. <laughs> it is 603,000 and change hmm. for just the men. Oh, okay. So, so probably we're a couple million at when you add the women and children. Women and children. And the children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So if they have a fighting force of that many men, they don't need to leave Egypt. They can just take it over. And they definitely wouldn't have much of a struggle in Canaan which clearly Joshua and Judges paint a picture that this is not a smooth, easy thing mm -hmm. to conquer Canaan. So scholars have for a long time been like, this is what gives here. And archaeology looks at settlement patterns and populations, and, and we have most of the sites found, not all, of course. And it's like, okay, they would just run roughshod over everyone. But like that number is very hard for an archaeologist to accept. Mm -hmm. With me so far? Yes, okay. So... When we sometimes see these kinds of tensions, that's kind of the reason I brought it up too. It's important that we have enough of a background and not just in archaeology, but let's also talk just in ancient history, in the languages, in all that what we'll call biblical backgrounds, maybe more broadly, right? The cultures and the artifacts and, and the archaeology, all of the things around the peoples of the Israelites and so on in the uh, ancient Near East. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. Biblical backgrounds is kind of really what I'm going for here. Well, the term that we translate thousand is the Hebrew word elif. It also has homonyms that mean leader, like leader of a fighting force or a clan. And just like, um, and just like the clan itself, I guess you could say, like a, like a smaller group. Okay. So the leader is kind of the key one. And so we translate it thousand, but it's sort of like the English word bark. And it could be a homonym or it could be a different spelling, but same homonym or spelled exactly the same. But in context, 
bark is easy, right? If, if, if I told you a story of someone ringing my doorbell and my dog gave a loud bark, you wouldn't think my dog gave him the exterior of a tree. Correct. I, I think I could yeah, get that right. Yeah. Yeah. Nor would you think <laughs> my dog gave him a sacred boat. Oh. Bark with a Q. Oh. So Elif trips us up because in context, we in the modern world expect it to be another number after the 603, uh-huh. like thousand. But oh. it very well could be 603 like military leaders. Uh-huh. And good Bibles will note these options now. Well, that gets you much more of a reasonable population, which would sync up with the archaeological data and the idea that it's a struggle to conquer Canaan. Uh-huh. furthermore it gets better when the israelites under joshua attack i you know that story achan sinned at jericho didn't devote mm-hmm. things to the lord and they lose and i believe it's 29 elif are killed or something like that and yeah. it's like 29 men are, are killed out of 60 elif i believe is the numbers i'm sorry i'm trying to make sure i get the, somewhere in there yeah okay so if you had sixty thousand. And 29 people died. Even by the ancient reckonings difference than ours, how could you possibly think 29 out of 60,000 is a catastrophe? Mm. Mm-hmm. However, if it's 29 out of 60 commander types, captain types, whatever military term you want to use, ooh, that's half your best. Right, yeah. So there's difference. other passages that suggest this word is tricky for us. But if we don't know any of that, we have no way to combat the people who say, no, this is totally made up. There's no way there's this many Israelites. And it's like, right, there aren't that many Israelites. The word is, is tricky. Mm. But, but we have some interpretive options. And that's the other thing, I think, that the biblical backgrounds, archaeology, history, these kind of things can help us do. 36 yeah. Israelite deaths at the Battle of I. 36. Okay. Oh, that's, so, yeah, 36 and out It's of even worse if 60, it's 60, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, so those are kind of my answers. Like helping us clarify interpretive issues and contextualize things should be something any believer is interested in. And also helping us sort of defend the historicity, which may take a little bit more of a specialist knowledge, but you can still read and understand the the things I think that scholars do if you, you know, follow the field. Yeah. Have you personally encountered any kind of, oh, here's Dr. Jansen, he's one of them Christian types. I have Uh, not. Um, I've managed sort of so far sort of stay above that um and i think there's bound to be some eventually I mean, there might be people saying that that i don't know <laughs> or i'm just not reading what those people are saying um <laughs> but my again my mentor jim hoffmeyer you know and, and tom both are really big on this do really good well-respected research and work in the primary field have a good respected voice so that when you talk bible you're not just dismissed as a bible thumper Mm-hmm. And so that's been my goal. And a lot of what I've published, most of what I've published so far doesn't even touch on scripture too much. I have a series of articles coming out in the Luxem Geographic Commentary on the Pentateuch and then on the historical book. And that will, there I do work a lot more with the Old Testament. And I've gotten, you know, some popular things on Moses and David and Christian Research Journal and things like that. But I also, my main work is an is a epigraphy project at Karnak Temple in Egypt. So I'm analyzing the scenes and texts on the wall and scientifically recording them for future generations. And that's, nice. that's a more kind of a neutral thing. And so that, 
that's where I'm really like working for the most part. And then I do, of course, have real interest in where Egyptology and the Bible intersect. But a lot of the stuff that I've written on that, that that's coming out might be the kind of stuff that gets that reaction. But I haven't seen it. I've seen it happen to others. But hmm. um, real important question here. Is the Ark of the Covenant in Tannis, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. All right. No. Uh, well, since melted down by Nebuchadnezzar, I suppose. Oh, really? Here's the thing. You capture a temple, you take the good stuff. Yes. And you repurpose it for your oh. cultural context, most likely. That's a fascinating thought there. Hmm. Wow. Stop looking for the Ark, Noah's Ark, while we're at it. quit both arcs gotcha yeah and i will say it is frustrating sometimes that that scholars have ceded so much of the popular space online to people who don't know what they're doing Ah, and that's mm -hmm. another passion project of mine is try to get to where we're making more good content for general audiences we're too insular as scholars way too often i have similar thoughts in my field the music field which uh I will talk about someday a little more down the road as well. <laughs> hey, are there any like uh, recent things in the archaeological world or studies that would be relevant to people of a Christian faith or Christian persuasion? Yeah, I mean, all of it is in a sense, if you're trying to piece well, there's together. There's a safe answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're trying to piece together what happened in the past, mm -hmm. any excavation has the potential to help. I mean, there's a bunch of good examples let me give you just a couple uh yeah. let's do david for a second yes and this is a fun one because there are scholars who have said over the years especially in the 90s this i think kind of got popular that david was fiction mm. and the, one guy even said it was based on homer which was crazy Don't. The, the, the chain of transmission for the greek writing to influence the israelites <laughs> it's like how do we even get from a to b yeah there? because they both have champion versus champion combat Okay. That's sort of the, the nuts and bolts of it. And I'm like, yeah, but there's an Egyptian story way before David that does that. So <laughs> there goes that argument. Anyway, mm -hmm. archaeology can uh, do a lot of wonderful things for us, but it also has its limits. And I would be remiss in a conversation like that if we didn't try to illustrate that a little bit. I, I don't think it is even remotely possible or realistic to expect archaeology to prove that David fought a big dude named Goliath. Mm -hmm. Think of all the questions that would come from that. How do I know it's the right Goliath? How do I know David's the one who killed him? Like, what do we have to find? A head with a giant crack in the forehead? <laughs> I mean, then you can immediately hear people say, well, it could be after death. You know, he's, he's the skeleton's thousands of years old. How do we know that? You know, so there's a thousand things there. Yeah. But it does help us with certain little things with that story. Number one, there is a shard on a pot with the word Goliath from Gath that has been discovered. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, our biblical author picked a good Philistine name. <laughs> so he knew his enemy, mm -hmm. which suggests he's not making it up way, way later when the Philistines are no longer a people. Right? That's a possibly a, a little tiny detail that suggests that they, as they pass the story down, perhaps orally initially, they got those details right. Mm. It's definitely a Philistine name. It's attested outside the Bible now. David did not bring Bart Simpson's slingshot to the battle. <laughs> you can go to the Brook of Elah and see stones. And we have piles of these stones that are found in siege warfare contexts at a site called Lachish, for example. 
and they are a little bigger than a golf ball, very, very rounded, and they would be pretty aerodynamic, and they're heavy enough to do some real damage. In other words, Goliath brought a sword to a sling fight. Okay. But David had a real weapon here, hmm. and he had the range. Yes, God's on his side. The text makes that perfectly clear, but David's not a country bumpkin totally out of his element. He's He's got the better strategy, legitimately, hmm. because this isn't a child's toy, but a deadly weapon that is used by the most formidable armies in that day and so we already saw in the text he's killed a lion and a bear with it but if it can kill a bear it can kill a dude i don't care how tall the dude is right like if you could take out a bear with it we've already been set up to know that goliath's going down (laughs) okay so that but that doesn't mean i can't definitively tell you with archaeological data that david that we mean killed the goliath that we mean that's too specific a question for archaeology to answer generally makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. then in 1993 at tel dan dan the northernmost city of israel you know the phrase in the bible from dan to beersheba Mm -hmm. at dan a very respected israeli archaeologist found a broken text written by an aramean king so that's the kingdom just north an enemy of israel and judah and he mentions killing two kings and uh, from israel one from israel one from judah and the way he refers to the one from judah is with the phrase of the house of david Mm. just like we would say the house of the Tudors or the windsors or whoever Mm -hmm. yeah telling us that within a hundred years or so of david's life an enemy king references him as the founder of a dynasty Mm -hmm. now an enemy would have no reason to prop david up right right like if a Judean king mentioned that he was of the house of David, you'd say, well, yeah, it's just like, like trying to reference Arthur would be, you know, like you'd still yeah. see mm-hmm. where people might be skeptical. So it's kind of important that it's an enemy and David had a reputation and he calls it house of David. That's a pretty excellent example where archaeology can help us with the idea that a biblical character did in fact exist and is historical. But can it tell me anything about David and Bathsheba? Probably not. Right. Can it tell me anything about God appearing to David and talking about the Davidic kind of or with Nathan, the prophet or whatever you want to phrase that. Right. So we got to ask it the right archaeology, the right sort of questions or have the right sort of expectations. But that's an, an incredible find that really helped squash the idea that David was fiction. And then the conversation would then had to turn to, OK, well, how much of what he said to accomplish did he accomplish? Right. And that's another topic, really. But the idea that they're just making up this great ancestor figure was a lot harder to maintain once an enemy's referencing him. Mm. I mean, I suppose it's still possible, but the enemy thing is, is big. Yeah. So that's sort of the, the way we can talk about fines. Um, another thing, there's been a really sensational one in the media here the last couple of days. Actually, I think the press release was the 24th. Yeah, I was wondering and if this, you'd bring this up. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Scott Stripling's find, and I know him. He worked with I worked with him for my book, Five Views on the Exodus, where I moderated a debate between five sort of specialists, experts, whatever. Yes. And uh, enjoyed working with Scott. And he's got this little tablet looking almost looks like an amulet. It's not even an inch big that uh, has the name Yod in Hebrew, Yod Hey Vav, which is Yahweh, God. Mm um on it uh hopefully 
it's hard to make a ton out of something that size too. And so I would just caution people, this is really potentially exciting, fine, but let's let it get into the academic journals, let experts who have a different view on the Bible look at it, because whenever it's just an echo chamber, you know, it's going to sound really convincing, right? But the whole point of the process of academia is to make sure that new finds are verified by multiple voices. And I'm not trying to say they're wrong. I, I think they're wrong about saying it supports a particular exodus date. I don't think it does that. That was in the press release too. But I don't, I don't think, I don't know if they're wrong about what it says on the tablet because I don't have the photos and they had to do, you know, high tech scanning to actually make it visible, right? They've like the pictures they're showing of the thing aren't going to show the text because it's too faint. Um, but I am just going to caution people to let's let it play out a little bit. Just a couple more questions that I got for you. Um, you mentioned your book. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your book is and where people can find it? Yeah, so it's called Five Views on the Exodus. And then there's a lengthy subtitle that no one needs to hear. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, I sort of write the intro and conclusion and then edited and moderated the whole debate. But it's five scholars debating the historicity of the Exodus and when it took place, if there was an Exodus. Of course, I believe there was, but mm-hmm. uh, so trying to give people a, a source that has real scholars talking about this topic that gets so hokey online, <laughs> like videos like patterns of the evidence of evidence, terrible. It's like so wrong on so many levels. Oh, so trying go. to realize that you know what, scholars, we need to write stuff that normal people want to read. <laughs> mm. Right, and so that was kind of the idea. Now a lot of it's going to have a ton of data, right? Because they're going to be using the data to argue. But I've tried to keep it written in such a way that any, you know, educated lay person could follow and enjoy. And so it goes right through like early date view, the late date view, the late, late date view and the cultural memory view. So like I'm not going to get into what each of those are, but it lets you see what the data is in the discussion for yourself. And then each author has his, his main essay chapter and then the other authors get a short response to what he said and then within his chapter he has the final kind of like rejoinder to their responses and then we move on to the next view and so it's sort of trying to have this sort of a dialogue kind of feel to it in that regard um it's published with zondervan so you can get it on their website amazon has it it's pretty much anywhere books are sold hey i've never gotten to say that (laughs) i will put a link to the uh amazon uh, page yeah. in the episode description of this so uh, those of you listening to this you can find a link there yeah thank you uh, sure and then uh last thing this fall you are starting a new gig yes i am cat is out of the bag i'm transitioning to the linear center for archaeology at lipscomb university to be uh, associate prof of archaeology super exciting now, they've already been supporting my project in Egypt mm-hmm. for a couple of years. This is also where all the guys now, just about all of us from the Tandy Institute at Southwestern have landed on our feet after they cut that program, putting the band back together. And we're excited to do that. It's one of the few places where you can do really, really good, sound, methodological archaeology from a, you know, a Christian worldview. There's not a ton of programs like that now at that graduate and you know phd level mm-hmm. um so that's exciting and i think it's something that will benefit the capital c church mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. come one come all <laughs> yeah if you're uh 
interested in pursuing some uh, archaeological uh, studies, you should definitely check out the uh, undergrad and graduate programs at Lipscomb. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey, Mark, thank you so much for being my first guest on the uh, Composer Chris cast. And this is a fascinating discussion. I think it's an important discussion. Um, and big picture, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this is Christians don't need to fear academia. I hear so mm -hmm. much distrust and fear of, oh, they're anti No, no, they're just mostly pro-good research, you know? Let me share one more thing on that. Yes, please Let's do. Back up. C.S. Lewis makes this point in Mere Christianity, and I know a lot of people are familiar with him, of course, um, but he talks about how faith and reason are not opposed. Mm. In fact, it is your reason that will help you sort of solidify your faith when you are in a moment of great emotional doubt. Your reason will remind you of who God is and who you are in Christ, and it is your reason that will help pull you out of that despair, so you should not consider them to be at odds in fact reason is the great ally of faith and i love that it's helped yeah. me numerous times because if you think about it when we do doubt it's a lot of times we are going through something and there's an emotional aspect to it now there's also intellectual doubt but i don't think that's the kind of doubt most people experience when they really start to question their faith yeah most of us aren't like hmm, the science man what do i do with it like most people are like <laughs> Why am I having such a rough time? Is God still care kind of stuff? Mm. And your reason will help you mm. in that sense. So it's not opposed to your faith. That's great. Yeah. All right, Mark. Thanks so much. Next time we yep. chat, it'll probably be about football. So yep. bears. Uh, until bears. I mean, sorry. <laughs> so digs. Wait. <laughs> digs. Archaeological digs. digs, my friend. Yes. Digs. Go ahead. All right. Thanks again for joining. Yep. Thanks, thanks for having me. me.